Nadav and Avihu were killed by a foreign fire. In the face of tragedy, sometimes silence is required. When the stakes are high, it's good to be nervous. Help people on their terms so you can provide the best service. Okay, so this week's Parsha is Parsha Shemini. And yesterday we had a week off because of uh, Pesach, but uh, this week is back to the normally scheduled Parshiot. So in Parsha Shemini, all of the Parshiot leading up to this, talking about the building of the Mishkan, the building of the tabernacle, Finally, this is the pinnacle moment. This is finally the moment that the construction is ready and um, the time when the Jews will finally be able to actually use the Mishkan to connect with Hashem. Uh, So it's a very exciting Parsha, and there was a lot of lead up to it um, in the prior Parsha, talking about how to build uh, and how to construct the Mishkan. So the Parsha, the first idea is the Parsha begins by talking about our own um, had to sacrifice a calf. And it has been said that sacrificing this calf was to atone for the cheta ego, the ego being a calf. Um, so to atone for the sin of the golden calf, the um, Aaron had to likewise sacrifice a calf. And interestingly, you know, it seems like um, the antidote to something is off, very often the thing itself. You know, we're living in the times of the coronavirus. The antidote to the coronavirus is a vaccine that uses, you know, the RNA of the um, of the actual coronavirus vaccine. And and likewise here, um, it was sort of a to, to atone for the sin of the golden calf. You actually had to bring a calf uh, to sacrifice, and that was that was ultimately um, how it happened. That sometimes the antidote to something. Is is the thing itself as um, ironic and hard to believe as as that might sound? Um, so also, a goat was sacrificed to atone for the the uh, sale of Joseph into slavery. So there was a question I heard: Why was Aaron chosen to sacrifice this goat? Because in fact, um, uh, Aaron's d- uh, descendant was the was Levi. He is part of the tribe of Levi. And Levi was one of the biggest advocates for actually selling Joseph uh, into slavery. So why is Aaron, a descendant of Levi, somehow the right person for this job? And perhaps the reason is because Aaron, we saw earlier, he was, uh, it says he was happy in his heart. Um, he had Simcha, he had happiness in his heart when he, um, when when he saw Moshe and when he saw Moshe's success. Sometimes that's so hard for us to do to have happiness in our heart for others' success, for other people's success, and that was a hallmark of who Aaron was. He was a person that was happy when other people succeeded, and especially, you know, that's no more true for your own brother when you see your own brother succeeding. Um, Aaron was able to channel Moshe's success into his own happiness, into Aaron's own happiness. And it's perhaps because of that brotherly love uh, that Aaron had with Moshe, that's why he was the perfect candidate to atone for a sin where brothers 
where the where the uh, eleven brother where the ten brothers sold Yosef into slavery, um, because ultimately they didn't have enough love for their brother, and on the other hand here Aaron he um, had happiness in his heart to see Moshe's success, and that's why he was the right candidate to atone for the sale of Yosef. Now moving on, um, there is this interesting scene where Moshe tells Aaron to come close to the to the Mizbeach, come close to the altar. And Rashi says that the reason that Moshe had to kind of say, hey, come close, is because um, Aaron recoiled. Aaron didn't want to come. And Moshe picks up on this. And, and according to Rashi, Moshe asks Aaron um, why he was ashamed and fearful. And Rashi goes on to say that you shouldn't be ashamed because you were specifically chosen for this job. So what's fascinating, Rav Druk says that when, um, when Moshe was, so, so Moshe realized that Aaron was both ashamed and fearful, yet when Aaron actually, when Moshe actually addressed the question, he said, why are you ashamed? And he left out the fearful part, right? The, um, in Hebrew, bush vayira, um, bush being, uh, ashamed and Vayara being, um, or Yira being fear. So, so Rashi says, um, or, or Rashi, according to Rashi, Moshe says that the only thing that, uh, that shouldn't be a concern for Aaron is that he shouldn't be ashamed. But Rav Druk, uh, it makes an inference that since Moshe only addresses the shame, it must mean that fear is actually a good thing, that yira is actually a good thing. And this is, you know, a concept that's relatively foreign um, to, you know, modern American ears, that sometimes when we have a big job um, and we have a, a uh, something very important uh, in our lives, it's actually a good thing to be scared. It's a good thing to have fear. It's a good thing to have a little bit of trepidations, you know, stage fright, whatever you want to call it, it means that you care. You know, if, if you're a little bit scared of something, it means that it's important to you. And um, so that's perhaps why Moshe, Moshe wanted Aaron to keep his fear, to, to hold on to his yira, because that fear would serve him well um, when he was doing the, um, the, the sacrifices uh, to Hashem, that, that having a certain amount of fear and um, it, it adds gravity to whatever you're doing. Uh, if you're a little bit fearful and you're a little bit afraid, that being, being afraid is not a bad thing. On the other hand, um, Moshe says that being ashamed, that's not a good thing. If you're, if you're ashamed, then you can't even pick yourself up. You're not going to do anything. If you're, if you're just full of shame, uh, there's nothing that is, it's, it's impossible to, to lead. It's impossible to, to do any actions whatsoever. You're, you're going to be bedridden if you're constantly ashamed of yourself. So you shouldn't be ashamed. But on the other hand, you should be fearful. So if you can be a little bit scared, a little bit fearful, but at the same time, um, you know, embrace that fear and not be ashamed of stepping up to the plate, that's uh, the, a perfect combination for, for taking leadership, that you shouldn't be ashamed, but at the same time, you should be a little bit fearful. Another interpretation 
um, that you could take from this is when um, when Moshe says that you have, why are you ashamed? Because you were chosen. Moshe um, might be saying actually that shame, there's kind of two types of shame. There's a shame that you can't even get out of bed in the morning. Uh, you're so ashamed of yourself and that's bad. But there's also a certain shame that's that's good, that, that um, you acknowledge your mistakes. And um, perhaps that is the hallmark of actually a good leader is having that kind of shame, being able to acknowledge your mistakes, being able to realize, you know, maybe I didn't do this perfectly, being able to change your mind. That's perhaps a good part of shame. And and Moshe was saying it's exactly it's precisely because you were you felt shame that's why you're you're so perfect for this job that's why you're chosen so um <clears throat> moving on to some other ideas in this week's parsha um we talk about that after the sacrifices um Aaron he blesses the people with birkat kohenim and of course for you know many people with uh, my last name of cats um, meaning uh, Kohen Sedek, that a lot of Kohanim were doing Birkat Kohanim over uh, Pesach that we just uh, the the holiday that we just had here. So, um, so this was perhaps the first time that it ever occurred in all of Jewish history was in this week's parsha when Aaron bless when Aaron blesses the people, and what's fascinating about Aaron blessing the people here this is right after. Aaron had this major success right after finally, like, you know, like I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast, finally, the, um, the Mishkan is, is ready for use. And the first, you know, the first sacrifices were made for in, on this Mishkan. And when such great success occurs, you have to spread that success. Um, and Aaron felt this, that he felt such a love in his heart that he had to, he had to spread it. And what's fascinating is the prayer that you say, that, that the Kohanim say before Birkat Kohanim, it ends with the word Ba'ahava, meaning uh, in love, and or, or with love. Um, so p- perhaps one of the reasons that it ends with Ahava um, is because that's a very important part of blessing someone. That uh, that we're sort of channeling our dis- our descendant, you know, of our own, and saying that when you're blessing someone, you have to be blessing someone uh, with with love in your heart, um, and and good feeling in your heart. That that our own in this case, he felt such great success from his sacrifices earlier in the parsha that it was just overflowing, and he had to spread some of it um, for Birka Kohanim, uh, for blessing the people. And it was done, again, ba'ahava. It was done uh, with love. Now, moving on to some other ideas. Um, so there's this very, very tragic story in this week's Parsha of Nadav and Avihu, um, two sons of Aaron, who were killed, um, the Torah says, for offering an alien fire that Hashem uh, did not command. So um, first of all, there's a few points on this. One is that none of an view they were kind of royalty they were the sons of Aaron they were the sons of the the high priest the Kohen Gadol so you would think that the sons of the high priest they would you know in most societies they would get a free pass uh, if they took a misstep they would um, you know n- nothing really would happen to them they, they play by different rules because they're so special so so high and mighty um, but but that's not the case in Judaism 
that even Nadav and Avihu, even these like, you know, um, even the sons of royalty, even the sons of the Kohen Gadol, of the high priest, of Aaron, even those, if they took a misstep, if they did wrong, they were punished for it. And ultimately, that's what happened. Uh, they were killed for bringing this alien fire because, you know, they, they had to follow basically the same rules as everyone else. That Nadav and Avihu, they um, shouldn't have brought this alien fire, yet they did. Um, and, and again, they, they don't play by any different rules in Judaism. Even if you're the son of, uh, the sons of Aaron, uh, if you take the, the wrong step, you could still be, uh, you could still be punished for it. Now, moving on to a, a different idea on this Nadav and Avihu story. Um, it's the, the Torah says that the reason that they were killed is because they brought an alien fire, um, that, that died, that God did not command. And what's fascinating about this is that you know when we're when we're trying to help someone, very often we help them the way that we think that they should be helped, um, and that's sort of maybe the the, the mistake that Nadav and Avihu did that that they thought what they were doing for Hashem that bringing this alien fire was somehow going to appease God and make God happy, um, yet God didn't command it, and that was something that um, that ultimately God God punished Nadav and Avihu for. And we should realize that for us, you know, in our, uh, first of all, you know, and maybe in our connection with Hashem, but also just generally more, you know, in our connection with people that we care about. If we really care about them, then we will work on their level. Um, we will do what they commanded. Um, you know, if we'll do what they like. And we shouldn't just assume that, you know, what we like is what they like. And since we like uh, alien fires, we're going to bring that to the table, you know, uh, that, that's the mistake that Nadav and Avihu did, that instead we should realize what did, what did God command of us or what did, you know, those people in our lives, what did they command of us, um, that, that we can, that, uh, we, and, and what can we do for them on their level, on their terms? And if we're helping someone, the, the true way to help a person the most is by helping them on their terms, by helping them in the way that they want to be helped. And uh, that's really a recipe for success. Um, and again, a recipe for an ineffective way to help someone is by helping them the way that you think that they need help. And again, God did not want the alien fire and ultimately punished not of an view for it. But um, if we're more cognizant of what those people in our lives, they, of, of what they want, and we work on their terms, ultimately will be much better helpers. Um, so moving on in the story, so Aaron um, is very interestingly, when, when he finds out that none of Avihu died, he was silent. He didn't, he, it says, uh, Yidom Aaron, that, that Aaron was silent. And Rashi says that Aaron was actually rewarded um, for being silent by, um, by having the next mitzvah spoken directly to, to him, spoken directly to Aaron, even though it's usually spoken directly to Moshe, the next Mishnah, the me- next uh, mitzvah in the Torah was actually spoken to Aaron. So um, what's fashion, what, what's uh, interesting about this is that, um, it, is that sometimes being silent, you know, in the face of, of great tragedy, the reality is it's beyond our comprehension. 
the reality is even though I talked about maybe, you know, we should work on the possible answer that none of an of you died because they they didn't care enough to work on God's terms and, and you know, kind of um, took something from their own playbook, even though it wasn't what God wanted. Uh, th- that's just a possible answer, one of many, for why none of an of you were killed. Um, and ultimately, especially, you know, if it's your own kids that, that die young, there's no, there's really no answer. There's no satisfactory answer to truly explain why they died. And even trying to answer it shows kind of a, a lack of, of faith, a lack of understanding that whatever happened was for the best. That sometimes the only true way to, um, to, you know, to mourn, especially a tragedy is simply just by being silent, by accepting it, uh, not not trying to justify it, not trying to, you know, come up with with possible solutions and and answers. Sometimes it really like um Aaron like Aaron did. Sometimes the, the only way to react to a tragedy, uh, the for 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 Aaron the the loss of his two sons. The only way to truly react to it was simply by by being silent, by saying nothing, and um. You know, as the saying goes, uh, our own silence, it, it really was deafening. His silence was deafening. And um, it, it spoke volumes about the kind of person that our own was. Um, pun intended that it, that it spoke volumes because uh, he said nothing. But uh, again, that, that our own being silent, sometimes, you know, in the face of tragedy, that's really the only solution. Um, okay, so moving on, it, it talks about the mourning process for none of an avihu. And the Torah and and uh, Moshe says that the entire house of Israel, Kol Beit Yisrael, uh, that the entire house of Israel mourned. And you know it's important that we realize that uh, even if Nadav and Avihu did something wrong, even if they um, you know brought this foreign fire and they shouldn't have, uh, it's important that we realize um, that you know even for people that that maybe kind of uh, were the cause of their own demise. It's still they're still worthy of mourning over. They're still worthy of uh, crying over, of uh, you know, mourning over their misfortunes, and that's perhaps why the entire house of Israel had to mourn. Moving on, um, so there's this interesting halachic um, argument, machloket, a, a dispute between Moshe and Aaron about exactly how much of the offerings to eat, um, given that they were in a in the the mourning um, process, uh, given that they were in avilut, given that uh, that that Moshe, that that Aaron was mourning the loss of his of his two sons, um, so there's this debate about how much offering to eat because there's a question maybe you shouldn't eat as much meat, given that you're um, that you're in mourning, so um, it's there's a few interesting points during this that during this dispute during this machloket and um Moshe says darosh darash that he inquired insistently it was basically the same the same word darosh darash that he he like really questioned and this is the halfway point of the torah that if you count all the words in the torah this is the halfway point um darosh darash in, in between those two words, that's that's the middle, that's the middle point of the Torah, and there's a nice um, idea that 
that maybe the reason why this Darosh Darash is in the middle is because almost that's the point of Judaism. The point of Judaism is to question. The point of Judaism is to, to constantly be asking. Um, and, you know, like we had in the Seder last week of Manishtana, that the, the best way to really get yourself involved um, in in a in a topic is by asking questions, is by delving deeper, is by inquiring. And that's what Moshe did, and that's perhaps why it's the very centerpiece of the Torah, that the, the entire purpose of the Torah is to delve into it, is to inquire, is to ask questions about it. Um, and darosh darash, this like double emphasis to inquire insistently, um, that that's, that's the, that's the ikr, that's the main purpose of the Torah is to constantly be questioning, constantly be asking. Um, and that's a fitting, a fitting centerpiece, um, to, to the entire Torah. Now they settled, they end up settling this dispute by, um, it, it, the Torah says that Moshe heard and approved um, of the um, of the uh, of, of Aaron's position, and Rashi comments that Moshe was able to admit without embarrassment that he was wrong, and uh, you know what an important skill that it is for to to be able to admit admit without embarrassment uh, that that you're wrong, especially and particularly because Moshe was the leader of of the entire Jewish people. And, you know, imagine one of our leaders, um, admitting that they were wrong without embarrassment. Uh, it's, it's very, very difficult to do. And it's something that we should all aspire to that, you know, we, especially if we're in roles of leadership, we should inspire to being able to admit that we're wrong and get to a point eventually where we're able to admit to that, that we're wrong, even without embarrassment. Um, cause ultimately, Moshe understood that Aaron had the 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 um, correct argument, and he was able to admit that that he was wrong even without embarrassment. And what a what a um, you know, it's really something to to aspire to that we can admit to we're wrong. That we can first of all, we should be able to get to the point where we can admit that we're wrong, uh, in certain cases where it's necessary. And secondly, we're able to admit that we're wrong even without being embarrassed. So moving on, um, we get to the laws of kashrut. So we talk about here that um, an animal is kosher if it if it chews both its cud and it has split hooves. So I heard a nice interpretation on this that a, a similar idea to the darosh darash to the um, inquiring to the questioning that chewing its cud is where an animal has many different digestive systems and it kind of eats something and it digests it and it swallows it, it, it spits it back up and digests it again um, through this complicated process um, and constantly, you know, it's it's kind of eating the same food over and over again uh, by chewing its cud. And maybe, you know, that's what we should do with our, when, when we learn something um, in the Torah, when, when we um, are are have the opportunity uh, to to learn a new lesson, to learn something new in Torah or, or in life generally, we should take time to chew it. We should take time even to chew it, spit it back up again and chew it again, like the animal does when it's chewing its cud. It takes time, It's it takes effort, but uh, it's well worth it if we can chew it, if we can um, go over it again and again. Um, that's really something to aspire to. And further, an animal has to have split hooves. 
So an animal with split hooves, it kind of walks carefully because it has a, a split in its hooves that might be vulnerable. So, so too we should, you know, walk humbly, walk carefully, um, walk making sure that each step is, is sturdy. Um, and, and by doing that, uh, we'll be better off for it. Now, um, moving on to some other ideas about um, kashrut. So, interestingly, the Kliyakar notices that the Torah, when it mentions a non-kosher animal, um, the kosher element is mentioned first, and the non-kosher element is mentioned second. So, for example, when the Torah mentions a pig, it says that the pig has split hooves, which is the kosher element. That's mentioned first. And then the Torah mentions, but it does not chew its cud, because that's the non-kosher element. So the Kliyakar says that the, the kosher part of a non-kosher animal is almost worse than the non-kosher part, because the kosher part is a way to say, you know, look at me, I'm kosher. And reality is, it's not kosher. And uh, this is, there's a, a famous teaching that the pig, when it sits down, it sits down with its hooves sticking out because it's like, like it's telling the world, hey, I'm kosher. Um, but in reality, if you look a little bit deeper, it actually doesn't chew its cud. And on the inside, it's not uh, as pure as it looks like at, on the outside with the split hooves. Um, so, that, so the Kliyakar says that the reason the Torah mentions the kosher part first and then the non-kosher part second, again with the pig, split hooves mentioned first, but then not chewing its cud is mentioned second. That's because, uh, the Kliyakar says, that's because the, the kosher part of the animal is even worse because that's the deceptive part. That's the part that makes you think maybe it's kosher, but in reality it isn't. Moving on. Um, so the, uh, it, it lists, the Torah lists a variety of different birds that are not kosher. And one of them it mentions is called the chasida, which is generally interpreted to be the stork. Um, but chasida in Hebrew means kind, kindness, um, chasid. So what exactly is kind about this bird? So Rashi says that it shares food with its friends. It shares food with other uh, animals in its species. So for an animal that, that shares food with others in its species, why is it not kosher? It seems like that's a trait that you would want to, that you would want to um, embody. So the, um, the, uh, a certain commentary, the Rezener Rebbe, I might be saying that wrong, but he, he says that um, someone that won't share with others, with, with other species, with people outside of their friend group, those people um, are not people that we should emulate. So the, the bird is called a chasida because it only shares food with people that it's close to, but it doesn't share with people that uh, it's not close to. And again, the commentary is that the reason that it's not kosher, that that, that bird is not kosher, is because that's not necessarily a good trait, that you should even be able and be willing to share food with people that are not as close with you. Um, so moving on, you know, just some general ideas about kosher. First, the fact that the Torah believes even the most mundane things can be kosher, even eating, something that, you know, everybody does just to be able to live. All, all animals need certain nutrients. And the Torah recognizes that since that's reality, you might as well do it in the holiest possible way. And um, by, you know, eating kosher food, it kind of elevates a very mundane activity of eating into something that's potentially very holy. 
Um, another idea on kashrut is, you know, it's interesting to note that in America, um, many non-kosher foods are not popular or almost non-existent. For example, very few people in America eat dog or eat rabbit or eat insects or eat bats, etc. And really the only kosher, the only non-kosher animals that are popular in America are the pig and the shellfish, or pig and, and different uh, types of shellfish. So, you know, what's fascinating is, you know, America is very influenced by kind of um, these, these Jewish uh, ideas that a lot of these things don't happen to be very popular to eat in America. And, uh, you know, I want to suggest that maybe that's because they're not kosher and that that had some kind of effect on why they're not popular, why eating dog or eating rabbit or insects or bats isn't popular. Even though in other cultures with with very few Jews, you know, for example, um, in the East, in, in Eastern countries, eating dog or eating insects is very common. And, um, you know, perhaps that's because in America, there's kind of um, this certain a certain influence that Jewish values have that why those why those uh, animals are not as popular um, for for food. Now moving on to the last point in the parsha, um, the, uh, the the parsha says that you should be able to differentiate what is tuma from what is tahor, what is impure from what is pure, and. Um, you know, I want to suggest that one of the reasons why it's important that we di- differentiate between what is Tuma and what is Tahor is perhaps because it's a way that can distract us from um, from asking questions that we shouldn't, we, we really have no business almost asking. Like I talked about with Aaron, that his sons died in this week's Parsha, and he was simply silent. He, di- he didn't ask any questions about it. It's something that's beyond our comprehension. So perhaps one of the reasons that the Torah gives us the opportunity um, to, you know, investigate what's Tuma and what's Tahor, which are very, very complicated laws, and what's kosher and what is not kosher, et cetera, et cetera. These minutia are um, are there to occupy ourselves with things, with with questions that can be answered, with questions that do have an answer somewhere. They take a lot of work, they take a lot of effort, they take a lot of debate and thinking, but ultimately there there is an answer out there. Is where a question about, you know, why did Aaron's sons die very young? It's almost inanswerable. It's impossible to answer. The only the only real response is silence like Aaron had. And perhaps one of the reasons why the Torah tells us to differentiate from what's Tuma from what's Tahor is to keep us kind of preoccupied in figuring out things that we can figure out, in controlling what we can control, making sure that we only interact with pure things, etc., making sure that we only eat kosher food. That's something that's under our control. As to why, you know, our own sons died young, something beyond our control and something that's not even worth questioning. Okay, so moving on to just recapping some of the major points I talked about. Um, first, I spoke about how um, our own he sacrificed a calf to atone for his participation in the sin of the golden calf. And I said that sort of the cure, the antidote to something is often the thing itself. So, so like the coronavirus vaccine, you know, the, um, the RNA is the, is the antidote to the coronavirus itself. And similarly here that by bringing a calf, that's the atonement for the, the, um, for the, uh, sin of the golden calf. 
Now, I also talked about how, why was Aaron chosen to uh, sacrifice, why was Aaron chosen to bring the sacrifice that atoned for the sale of Yosef? And I said, perhaps it's because he was, Aaron was happy in his heart when he saw Moshe's success, when he saw his own brother's success. And that was the downfall of Yosef's brothers when they sold him into slavery. They weren't happy for Yosef. They didn't feel uh, brotherly love for him. And it's perhaps because of Aaron's love for Moshe. That's why he was able uh, to, that, that's why he was able to bring that sacrifice to atone for, um, for the sale of Yosef. Now, moving on to some of the other points I talked about, um, Moshe tells um, Aaron to come close to the altar. And Rashi gives us this story about how um, Moshe saw that Aaron was ashamed and fearful, that he had bush and yira, that he was ashamed and he, he had fear. Um, so Moshe responds, why are you ashamed? Because you were chosen for this job. And um, I spoke about how Rob Druk said that um, noticeably missing is he only, Moshe only asked, why are you ashamed, but did not ask, why are you fearful? Because ultimately having some fear, having Yura, having a certain respect, having a certain, a little bit of stage fright, that's actually a good thing. You know, when we're doing something seriously, um, we should be a little bit scared and that will make our performance more, you know, better because we'll, we will, um, if we're a little bit scared, if we're a little bit afraid um, of doing something, that fear will ultimately help us take take those things in life seriously that should be taken seriously. I also talked about how maybe um, another way to interpret this is that Mo- that uh, that Aaron was chosen specifically because he was someone that was ashamed. That someone that's a little bit afraid of you know taking leadership, someone that's maybe a little bit um, that, that's, that's willing to admit their own mistakes, that's ashamed a little bit of making, you know, of, um, of making a mistake and is willing to admit to that mistake. That's someone that, uh, it's precisely because of that character trait that, that Aaron was chosen, uh, to be a leader. So moving on to some of the other points I talked about, um, after the sacrifices, Aaron does the first ever Birkat Kohanim, in the history of the Jewish people. And I said that even today, we finish the, um, you, you finish the prayer uh, right before you, the, the ending of the prayer right before Birkat Kohanim ends in Ba'ahava uh, with love. And that's really what Aaron was channeling here, that after such a great success of bringing these sacrifices, he was willing to kind of spread his love uh, and spread his uh, his success with others, and that's something that was, you know, it was, it was uh, his his success and his um, his his pride was so overflowing that the only way to satisfy it was sharing it with others. What an important lesson there to, you know, when we're feeling a lot of success, the best way to channel it is by sharing it with others. Um, so moving on to some of the other points, I talked about that tragic story of Nadam and Avihu. Uh, the sons of Aaron who were killed for bringing an alien fire um, that God did not command. So I spoke about a few different points here. One was even royalty, even the sons of Aaron, even the sons of the Kohen Gadol, even they, if they take a misstep, they're not beyond retribution. They're not better than everybody else. That even if they take, if if uh, even the the sons of Aaron take a misstep, they'll ultimately also be punished. 
Um, so I, you know, I also talked about how when we're trying to help someone, we should help them on their terms. And in this case, God did not command um, Nadav and Avihu to, uh, to bring this fire, yet they did. So, you know, it's important that when we're helping someone, we shouldn't help someone based on what we think they need. We should help them based on what they need and what they tell us they need and what they command us to do. And, you know, even though that sometimes can be hard, it's ultimately the right way to offer service is by helping them on their terms. Um, so moving on to some of the other points I talked about, Aaron was silent. And I said, you know, he was, Aaron was, was silent in response to learning about his son's dying. And I said that sometimes this is really the only response you can have to a terrible tragedy, that it's beyond our human intellect. It's beyond our, our capacity to understand. Um, and sometimes the truest display of faith is simply by just being silent, simply by acknowledging that you don't understand what happened, why it happened, um, what could have been different, you know, not to play back scenarios in your mind, simply understand that, look, it happened, the milk spilt, and the best way uh, to, to grieve is simply, in the face of tragedy, simply to be silent. And in fact, Rashi says that the silence it was such an impressive display of faith that Aaron was rewarded by being spoken to directly uh, in the next mitzvah. So um, I also talked about this halachic dispute between Moshe and Aaron, and Moshe, um, the, the the center of the, uh, the the very very center of the Torah, um, being darosh darash, being that he inquired insistently and. Maybe this is a good centerpiece for the Torah because we should always be asking questions. We should always be inquiring. We should always be delving deeper. And, you know, I said that's maybe one of the reasons why we sing Manishtana at the Seder is because we constantly should be questioning and um, inquiring about why the why the Torah is the way it is, why the rules are the way they are, and asking questions about those rules. And, you know, that's the centerpiece of the Torah, Darosh Darash, because when we really delve in deep, that's the way that we can have the strongest connection to the Torah and just to things in general, that by questioning things, by asking, that's the, the closest connection we can have. Um, so I also talked about how Moshe... Um, heard and approved of the ruling that Aaron gave um, in this dispute. He ended up conceding that that Aaron was right, and Rashi says he admitted um, he he admitted without embarrassment that he was wrong. And I said, what um, what a great thing to be able to aspire to that we should be able to admit our wrongdoings without embarrassment. That oh, it's okay, you know, as people make mistake. We're we're all human beings. We should be able to make a mistake and. Um, admit to that mistake, and uh, even aspire to admitting that mistake without embarrassment, because we all know that, you know, we make mistakes all the time, and by admitting to it and uh, doing so without being embarrassed, it will ultimately lead to us, you know, perfecting ourselves more and more. Now, get, moving on to some of the things about kashrut, so I talked about how an animal that um, an animal's kosher if it both chews its cud and it has split hooves. So I spoke about how it's important that we are kind of all, always 
um, digesting and redigesting the lessons that we learn, like the animal that chews its cud. We eat something, or we digest a new lesson, and then we kind of spit it back up again, and we think about it, and we turn it around and, and look at it in a different light and eat it again. And sometimes it takes, a, to, in order for a lesson to really set in, we have to chew, we have to kind of... Um, uh, chew our cud. We have to keep processing it in different ways. And I talked about a split hooves that the uh, a split hoof kind of has a um, a vulnerable a vulnerable part part of the hoof is uh, in the center that's split, and that we should kind of walk slowly, that we should walk humbly, that we should um, you know contemplate every step before we take it. So moving on to some of the other points uh, I spoke about that the Kliyakar mentions that the kosher part of a pig, that being of the split hoof, that's even worse than the non-kosher part, the fact that it chews its cud. Because the kosher part is kind of a way of the pig saying, hey, look at me, um, I might be kosher. But in reality, if you look deeper, it's not. So sometimes even those things that, that uh, those elements that seem kosher, that's actually even worse than the non-kosher part because it's deceptive. Um, moving on to some of the other points I talked about, um, the stork is not kosher, called the chasida, and I spoke about how it's kind because it shares its food with its friends, with other people and its species. But I, so then I asked the question, why is this not kosher? And perhaps it's because, uh, it's not a good character trait to only share with your own species, that we should be able to, um, and we should be able and willing to share with even those and help, uh, even those that, um, are not our own species. And moving on to the last point that a couple of the last points I talked about, just a general idea on kashrut that we all have to eat. All animals have to, you know, eat nutrients. And um, yet uh, there's a certain holy way to do that, even though it's a very, you know, seemingly mundane activity. There's still a way to do it um, in a holy way. And that's perhaps by separating things that are kosher uh, by things that are not kosher, being a conscious eater being someone that doesn't just put something in your mouth just because it's food, being someone that, that contemplates, is this kosher? And when you think about that, ultimately, just that exercise of thinking about if something's kosher or not, that will make you appreciate it all the more so. My last point is that um, we're told at the end of the Parsha, it's important that we're able to differentiate between what's tuma and what's tahor and what is kosher and what isn't kosher. And I said maybe one of the reasons is because there's there is a possible answer to what's kosher and what isn't kosher, what's tuma and what isn't ta- and, and what's tuma and what's tahor, etc. Um, what's pure and what's impure, and this this uh, these questions are almost a way to sort of distract us from thinking about those questions that can't be answered, like why did not of an avihu die so young? That you know questions like that, questions of great tragedy, those shouldn't be answered. Those should just be silent. We should just be silent like Aaron was and sometimes accept it. But on the other hand, those things that we actually have control over, what's Tuma, what's Tahar, what's kosher, what isn't kosher, um, you know, questions of inquiring into the Torah, question, you know, being able to, um, to, to look at something and, and think about whether it's kosher or not, that is within our control. And that's something that we should really focus on. You know, those things that are without our control, those things that are out of our control, simply we should be quiet about them. We should be silent like Aaron. But things that are within our control, that's really where we can separate ourselves 
and learn and, uh, and grow. Now, I will read my poem again. Nadav and Avihu were killed by a foreign fire. In the face of tragedy, sometimes silence is required. When the stakes are high, it's good to be nervous. Help people on their terms so you can provide the best service. L'chaim, l'chaim.